Okay, so what we're going to go through tonight then is we're going to go through different genres of, um, of writings that we find in the Bible. What is a genre? Anyone know? Like poetry? Poetry is a type of genre. Okay, so categories. It's a category, exactly. And so this is really, really important because when we approach the Bible, if we approach Scripture, if we approach it all like it's just um, a history book, then we're going to be looking for facts and we might miss the theological implications, right? Or if we think it's trying to teach us um, about something, but we're in the wrong genre, we may miss the micro or the bigger point. And so it's, it's very important that we take a step back when we're reading. We go, okay, what genre is the author basically delivering this message in? Because if I know that, then I can more rightly interpret what God has to communicate through that author. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so what we're sharing with you tonight is basically a list. When Katie and I were in a seminary class, uh, the professor put this together and we Katie just repackaged it so you could have as a handout. We'll pay, post it on the website, but we'll just, we'll, we'll go through these briefly tonight, okay? And then we'll jump into our Proverbs chapter three, but want to... Um, make sure that you have the equipping that you need so that when you're moving through the Bible, you know what you're reading, what genre it's in. So the first one is a historical narrative. Okay. And a historical narrative is, it's kind of this mix between recapping events that happened, but really trying to draw attention towards either specifically what God is doing in and through the events or how the people are behaving and responding either in folly or in faith or wickedness or whatever it is through the way the story is being told. This becomes very problematic for some people because the Bible is never, I just mentioned this a minute ago, it never is trying to be a detailed history book for us. The people that were writing back in the day, they were trying to communicate cultural, historical, and theological things for their culture, right? They weren't trying to basically write it down in, in a way so that 5,000 years or 3,000 years later, people on the other side of the world that didn't even know existed would have a detailed history of everything that ever happened in their culture that could then nitpick at it, right? Like that's not what was going through their mind. Very often what's in a historical narrative, remember we talked about the meta narrative of the Bible? It's telling these stories that actually happened. There may be some exaggeration or some embellishment or some poetry or some allegory or something that's in there that's trying to highlight a certain element of God or of culture or whatever. But it's really trying to draw everything back in a meta narrative. Who's God? What promises did he make? Can we track those through time? Does that make sense? So historical narrative um, we want to look at the setting, the scene, the structure. We want to focus on who are the characters, but not overlook the minor characters. Uh, we want to look for the plot and the plot development. What happens to the characters? Um, what lessons and principles do we learn from this story? Here's an example. Um, in First and Second Samuel, we have the account of David rising to become the king. And during that, we see that God through Samuel, anoints Saul as king. And then he basically, after Saul is making a series of decisions that is not trusting 
God with all his heart, soul, and mind, and strength. He's not trusting the Lord, but he's leaning on his understanding, right? All these things we're going to study in Proverbs chapter 3, God removes his spirit and the kingship from him. Well, there's little shepherd boy David, right? And David comes on the scene, and he's full of faith, and uh, God uses him to slay Goliath, okay? The historical narrative is showing how God worked through a wicked king, through a righteous king, all the way to bring to the Messiah. And David is a Christ type. He's a messianic figure. If I, if I read that story wrongly, I think that I need to go pick up stones and slay giants, right? Or I think, hey, there's giants in my life that I need to like go slay, right? That's not really what that's teaching. Can I, can I, can I learn some lessons and principles from this story about trusting God? and not letting people defy him? Absolutely. But am I called to go pick up five smooth stones and try to slay someone with it? Right, that could be a misapplication. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So a historical narrative is recounting what God did, what people did and how he was moving. But I can, these are very often the most misapplied stories where they then start telling us to, like we, if we interpret it incorrectly, we think we need to go, now go behave the exact same way. Historical narrative, Daniel and the lion's den, right? I don't need to try to go like tick off, you know, the ruler of the world and get thrown in a lion's den so I can prove that I have faith like Daniel. However, what I can learn from that is, hey, if I'm being forced to choose between the one true God and things in culture or false gods, I need to be faithful just like Daniel was, right? Those are historical narratives as examples. Does that make sense? Uh, next is genealogy. So the, you ever read the first part of Matthew and you're like, holy smokes, right? Or you read um, Chronicles, mm -hmm. right? What, what is the point of a genealogy? The purpose of a genealogy, specifically there for, their, for their culture, wasn't to keep a detailed record of every single person that ever lived in a bloodline. It was often to point out, here's the... The, the people of significance or of importance in one way or another that were in the bloodline from point A to point B. So for example, in Matthew, it's tracking from David all the way to, to Jesus. In Luke, it's doing the same thing. If you go look at the two genealogies, it's actually a different genealogy, but they're both tracking from David to Jesus through different people, okay? Or you look at the genealogies basically in Genesis. You can, you can track um, or, or the family lines, what people belong to different tribes and have a certain inheritance in a certain land. Okay, so what, what we want to do then is we want to we want to figure out like why is this genealogy here? Like what is, it, what is the author including it for? Like what are they trying to trace? And very often it's an important Christ-like figure or it's you know, pointing to Christ himself. And in their culture, lineage and where you came from was super important. Plus, there was prophecies that said the Messiah is going to come through this lineage. Yep. So when Matthew starts off the New Testament, what he's saying is this is the lineage that they prophesied hundreds of years ago. Yep. Look, here it is. Boom, 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 boom. And everybody in that day would have read that and went like, oh, man, that's right. Like we've been told this for hundreds of thousands of years. This is what God's going to do through prophecy. And yep. here it is. Here's the lineage right there. 
So if I don't understand, thank you, Darren, if I don't understand why it's there, I just go to it and I start flipping past it. Let me get to the good stuff, <laughs> right? Is that fair? But if I understand why it's there, I start looking up the names. There, there's, some, there's often a, a, a message behind the names. Mm -hmm. One of the notes that Katie has here is, um, you know, there, in our culture, people want to basically throw stones at the Bible and say, that's so, you know, like patriarchal. It's like anti-woman, right? Like you ever guys ever hear that? Like Christianity is like anti-woman. And like what, well, what's interesting is when you really study Judaism and then Christianity in light of ancient Near East culture, there was not a single culture on planet Earth where women were treated with more respect and dignity than in, in the ancient Hebrew cultures, than any of their surrounding cultures, mm -hmm. right? So they were revolutionary. Why? Because God was leading them and forming that into their society. And when we look in the lineage, um, it makes sure to point out there's very important women, some with some really sketchy past, but they repented, they came to God, and he used them to bring about redemption, meta-narrative of, of the Bible. So next uh, genre is a covenant. What's a covenant, guys? It's like a promise or kind of like a deal. A deal, a promise, a contract, if you will. Yeah. Right? All of the above. We don't really use that word, but anymore. We use yeah. contract more, but it's yeah. just like a serious contract. It's like a marriage covenant. Yeah. But here's the thing with a, with a, with a contract versus a covenant. This is very important. A contract, both sides have to keep their deal. And if one side breaks it, the other side has an out. Mm -hmm. Right? So if I sign a business deal with someone and they violate the terms of the deal, I can now bounce out of the deal. I can withdraw. I can rescind. I can sue. That's not true with a covenant. A covenant, I keep my end no matter what. And what we see in the covenants is repeatedly man breaking their side, but God always keeps his promises. So whenever there's a covenant, it means God is declaring, basically, I am going to carry this on. I'm asking for your participation. I'm giving you a part to play. But he already knows in advance that we will fall short of our part of the deal. But nevertheless, he will carry it through. So we learn something about his nature when we read about the covenants. By the way, all the covenants point to Jesus. Okay. Which is what they call the new covenant. I don't know if you've been reading in the New Testament and I'll talk about the New Covenant. Yeah, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. We just changed that word in English, basically. Um, okay, poetry, psalms, songs. So we're familiar with this as a genre, right? This is what our music is made of, right? And the idea here is that someone is doing something um, with the idea of adding creative flair, basically. Right? So they're going to do this and they're writing it in such a way where it's meant to be accompanied by music or it's in the form of poetry or maybe the, the first letter of the first sentence is, starts with the letter A and then the next line of the next sentence starts with the letter B, right? And C and all the way down in their alphabet, right? And so uh, when we see poetry, what we're very often the way that poetry and psalms and everything are written, and this is not always, but look for it, very often the center verse or the center thought is almost like a crescendo to it. Right? Like it's almost like, like when we listen to music, right? You notice like a lot of times like songs will build. Mm -hmm. 
right? And then it gets to this part. You're like, I love this part of the song. That's the same thing very often in Hebrew po poetry or psalms or songs is they will crescendo. And very often when you're reading the Psalms of David um, or, um, um, I don't know, I'll just leave it at that. You, you basically will come to this point where it's kind of the middle of the song or the psalm. And there's usually like this epiphany or this focal point, or it's almost like we could put it in bold face and it's the highlight part of it. So when you're reading anything that's in poetry or song or psalms, look for what is this, what is this crescendoing towards? What's the climax? Correct. Mm -hmm. Exactly. What is the focal point of it? Kind of like that song Highlands, right? Like it builds in the middle and then it kind of like comes back down. Okay. Um, let's see here. Very often inside of this, there'll be a lot of figures of speech. So we generally want to interpret the Bible pretty literally. We take it at face value. But the second we get into songs and psalms and poetry, we need to take a step back and go, okay, my, my default is literal, but it could very well easily just be going in a way to express something. Here's an example. Very often in the in the poems and in the songs, is, is does God have wings? Does God roar like a lion? Does God shoot an arrow and a bow or like a bow and arrow? Right, like very often in the songs and the psalms, like God will be attributed with human-like characteristics or warrior-type characteristics or kingly-type characteristics, but we know, like in reality, God is spirit. Like he doesn't lace up, you know, like his boots in the morning, right? <laughs> There's nothing in the Bible that says like he puts on shoes, right? Like he's not in a, in a physical fleshly body like us. But very often in this genre, there'll be very descriptive language to try to communicate something about his nature. Does that make sense? Okay, next is Proverbs wisdom literature. So um, Proverbs and wisdom literature, what we just talked about, these are not like for sure promises. They're more observations of, hey, here's the way God made the world. Here's the way things work. And if I want to be like frustrated all the time, I know, let me do the opposite of the way God made things. Or if I want to walk in harmony with God and with his creation, because he is the creator, let me understand how he made things. And let me, let me like basically fall in step. Talk about fear of the Lord. Let me submit to the way he made things willingly and joyfully, right? And so very often in the Proverbs and wisdom literature, it's communicating um, truths, but it's not saying that this is a definite. For example, what we have here in the notes, and I think I brought this up a week or two ago, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, God also has free will, so and, and or God has given people free will. So just because parents and grandparents and church and everyone like pours into someone doesn't mean that that person may not choose wickedness or choose to go do their own thing, right? God gave us free will. We know that's also a teaching of the Bible. So what it's saying is, hey, all things being equal, right? More often than not, if, if the community, starting with the parents, right, come around a young person and raise them in a fear of the Lord from an early age, right? That, that child will grow up to know and love God and walk with him. Not always, but most of the time, right? Um, in general, when you do things God's ways, 
your like things will go better for you in a lot of areas of life. But look at Daniel, right? He was doing things God's ways and he had some real adversity. He got sideways with, you know, the king of uh, king of Persia. Probably not what you want to do, but in general, when we look throughout his whole life, like even when he had some difficulties, like God's favor was with him. And we're going to study that word favor a little bit more tonight. And what we want to do is walk in God's favor. Um, so Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and even the book of James. James was Jesus' half-brother. Didn't come to faith until after Jesus resurrected. And James is super big on wisdom literature. So when you're reading the book of James, if you've read the book of Proverbs, you're going to be like, dude, James is just spitting the Proverbs out all the time. Right? So uh, prophecy. This is kind of a cool word. Who, what's prophecy? So there's two types of prophecy. You just named one, Andrew. What was it? Foretelling. foretelling. What is foretelling? It's like saying what's going to happen or like what's coming. Kind of like telling the future. Kind of like telling the future. It is telling the future. Telling the future. But here's the thing. It's not a prediction by a prophet. It's an oracle from the prophet. Meaning the prophet isn't trying to sit around and hum and haw and come up with something to say that might come to pass. They, the real prophecy, that person heard from the Lord and they're saying, hey, I don't know all the details, but this is what he told me. Like, be ready, beware, it's coming, right? So they're telling what will happen. It's already certain, but very often the prophet who's delivering the prophecy doesn't know all the details. They're just delivering a message, okay? Um. What is the other type? It's in it's in point number one here. The other type of prophecy, not foretelling, but what? Focus on the forth telling. What is forth telling? I don't know that one. Huh? I don't know. No. So foretelling is God has ordained or declared and the prophet is speaking what will come to pass. Foretelling is the prophet is actually speaking what he already knows to be true that people are just disregarding. Um. Speaking forth truth. Hey, God told you not to sacrifice your babies to Moloch and you're doing it. He's going to judge you. How does he know he's going to judge you? Because God told you that if you walk in wickedness, he's going to judge you. So he doesn't need to hear from the Lord on that. He already has the scriptures. He already has the law. And he's just speaking forth boldly what God has put on his heart to a culture that probably is walking wickedness or doesn't want to hear it. God told you not to worship idols. He doesn't need to hear special divine revelation from God to know that he told us not to worship idols, right? So when we look at prophecy, we want to look, there's basically two, two kinds that we'll see in the Old Testament. One is foretelling and one is foretelling. What's the distinction? Make sure we all got it. Foretelling is what? The future, right? What God has ordained that will come to pass. And what is foretelling? What God has already said. And we're just communicating again to very often hard-hearted people, Right? And very often it's delivered with, with, an, with a warning and a, and a call to repentance or to turn. But it's actually coming from a place of love because I don't want to see you basically end up on the wrong side of a relationship with God. Right? Okay. We see 
both of these types all throughout the prophets, which is basically Isaiah through Malachi, which we remember here from a couple weeks ago, right? The structure of the Old Testament. Next one is apocalypse. This is a cool word. Right, what, is an, what is apocalypse? What is apocalyptic literature? When you think apocalypse, what, what comes to mind? Zombies. Zombies. <laughs> what did you say, Andrea? The end, of the day, end of days. I was like, the end of the world. Like when everything falls apart. Yeah. So, yes, apocalyptic literature is basically previewing what will happen, you know, at the end of days. Right? Huh? End times. end times. Very often, one of the terms you'll see is day of the Lord, which is day of the Lord's wrath. Okay. Um, basically, when he's going to bring judgment on the earth. And we know this from Revelation, from Daniel, um, Ezekiel, that apocalyptic literature is basically um, f foretelling what specific events that are going to happen at the end of days. Okay, so very often apocalyptic literature will be tied in with the prophets. Very often the prophets are talking about date cultural issues of the day or they're prophesying towards the Messiah, but they will also apocalyptic prophecies about the end of days, God's coming wrath or the, the end of the world and, and the establishment of new heaven and new earth, things like that. Okay, Um Another thing is a letter or epistle. We don't have these in the Old Testament um, as like an entire genre, but there are certainly letters and things written inside of Old Testaments where it's like someone was communicating to someone else and they'll give like a recap of it. But specifically in the New Testament, uh, Paul, he's writing all these letters to usually uh, one, what we call like a general epistle, which means it was like, to a church or a group of church leaders, right? Or it wasn't a general epistle, it was like a specific epistle, like it was written to an individual, like Timothy or Titus, right? Um, and those are different. One is written to a group of people, one is written to a very specific person. We can learn a little bit differently from both of them. Okay? Questions, comments, feedback, anything we learned through this. Is there anything cool? I just talked to myself. I learned about foretelling. Foretelling? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Anything else? I didn't realize Ezekiel was talking about end times. Yep. So very often, th this is, I'll end on this because this is kind of an interesting thing. Um, this is the way my Canaanized professor actually explained prophecy. He said, very often, the I had two different professors, so I'm teaching kind of from both of their mouths. One of them said um, that very often prophecy comes in like a dream or a vision. Right? That's very often how a message would be delivered to uh, an Old Testament prophet. Right. Or even when they're kind of in a sleep, like Samuel, like, or you remember, he's like going to Eli and he's like, wait, what? Like, you know, God's calling his name. So very often it's like a dream or a vision or it's in a place where they're kind of like in between sleep and, and state and God's delivering, you know, a message to them. Um, but when they see the message, specifically when it comes to foretelling, 
right? Which is a message they would have had to receive to then basically be able to communicate what is gonna come to pass. The way our professor explained is you might be looking at like a mountain range. And if you're 10 or 20 miles away, if you or I are looking at these mountain ranges, can we really tell like with a lot of clarity, like the texture of the mountain, like kind of where each of the peaks different sits compared to each other? No, we just see the image. You with me? But the closer you get to that mountain, the more you can see the distinction and the geography and the different peaks. And very often these prophets were receiving these messages that were five years, 10 years, 50 years, hundreds or year, hundreds of years out. And so they're communicating what they saw and it's almost like us looking at a mountain range. But as time went on and people got closer, they could be like, oh, that was that prophecy. But then as time went on further, they're like, oh, this prophecy also fulfills this, right? And they could see kind of, it was it was individual peaks, but it came together to kind of form that mountain range. And very often we see that with the Old Testament prophets, that they were prophesying specific things for Israel in the day, but that all those prophecies found partial fulfillment in the sense that they, it's not that they weren't completely fulfilled um, through the exile and things like that, but that they were also completely fulfilled again in Christ. Right, so they were fully fulfilled twice or they were partially fulfilled and then partially fulfilled again, right? But the, the prophet that was sharing it, they just saw what was to come and they didn't necessarily understand all the details. Specifically. Something about Old Testament prophecy. Yep. Um, when they were foretelling like the future, it most often was about either Israel being judged by God in some way, shape, or form for their disobedience. Yeah. Or it was about a coming Messiah who was going to make things new, make things right. Yeah. And they didn't often practice prophecy as like a fortune teller where like they would sit down with an individual and be like, hmm, God's saying this. Now, sometimes with a king that would happen. Yeah. Uh, but most likely that, that was going on with like a royal king. It wasn't usually going on with an individual person where they would give them some sort of word <laughs> from God. Yeah. That's just not what was going on in Old Testament prophecy. So I think that word gets kind of like taken in current day, and I'm not going like, to comment on that. I'm just saying what was going on in the prophetic books in the Bible. They were very much specifically talking to the culture of Israel to repent <laughs> or get judged, or they were predicting the Messiah, or they were talking to a king um, yeah. about his sin or about him leading that nation. So just when you're reading those prophetic books that's most of the time what was going on there was a prophet usually connected with a king or a monarch at that time and he was giving him messages to god in order to better lead his kingdom yeah and in the new testament there's a lot of language around beware of false prophets <laughs> yeah there right? sure is isn't there <laughs> so i mean you got a lot of things to when you're reading old and new testament to think about about prophecy like that yeah so in today's day and age when you're around people that are talking about prophecy, um, put your guard up. That doesn't mean that God will not reveal things to people today. Like God is all powerful, he'll do everything. But there are a lot of people just like in uh, the early church that were running around saying, God told me this, God told me that. I got a word from the Lord. And Paul warned against that all the time. Well, if Paul warned against it, we need to be on guard about it as well. And so did Jeremiah. Yeah. Okay, so that was the biblical genres. Um, 
next week, we will actually dive into the wisdom literature and the Proverbs in more depth since that's what we're studying. Okay?